0: world of work podcast with james
1: and jane hi everyone this is jane and just before we get into this episode i want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io over there you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do as well as our team development programs you'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work so that's www.worldofwork.io now let's get on to the episode
0: Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again today with another episode of the World of Work podcast. We've got another fun one. What are we speaking about today, Jane?
1: Well, today we are talking to authors of a book called The Nature of Work, Paul Miller and Shimri James, who are from DWG. And we're going to be talking a little bit about their experience of writing the book and and what they found.
0: Cool. Yeah. So their book, Nature of Work, is all about learning to look at work through more of a natural lens. So let's uh, get into the conversation with them and see what we learn. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's podcast conversation, and we've got a really interesting topic and some really interesting and and exciting guests today. So, today we're going to be speaking about the nature of work, and we're going to be speaking to Paul and Shimri. So, before we start to delve into the topic and explore it a little bit more, could I ask you to introduce yourselves and say a little bit more about where you work, what you're working on, and sort of what your focus is at the minute. I guess. Um, Paul, could I come to you first? Sure. Um, well, I my my day
2: job is that I'm the CEO and founder of the Digital Workplace Group. We're a consulting company in you guessed it, the digital workspace, um, the digital world of work. Yeah. Um, I've written several books all around, I guess you'd say, technology and change. Um and uh, I'm very much focused around, well, I guess the topic that we're talking about today, which is, I guess, the relationship between the natural world and the world of work.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Shimrit, could you say a few words as well?
3: Yes. Hi, I'm Shimrit James. Thank you for having us today. Uh, I'm Director of Knowledge at DWG or Digital Workplace Group um i tend to be focused on areas such as research and the knowledge management and the kind of organizational change side of the digital workplace um this is my first book that we're going to be talking about that i we co i co-wrote with paul um and it's just a, a topic that i find energizing and inspiring so i'm really looking forward to talking about it
0: oh brilliant thank you well so are we i mean like you said it's it's inspiring and it's energizing and um. Well, I, I guess let, let's get into a little, a little bit about it. So what your book is called is The Nature of Work, and it, it's kind of setting out a different way to think about work to some extent. Um, I guess, Paul, could you jump in and say a little bit about how you think we generally think about work at the minute? And, and as a high level, what do you think we're trying to do differently with this um, sort of natural-based approach and language that you're using? What's your sort of purpose in that transition? Um, well,
2: the the... Strapline, the subline in the book, is the new story of work for a living age. And and I think that is attempting to say that there that work is in a state of uh, flux and has been for several decades, and, and obviously COVID has put this accelerant um into the world of work, and that we're actually developing a, a new story post-industrial story of what work means and and the term living age is really to try and differentiate between these other terms such as information age knowledge age digital age and really say that we're moving into what we're calling the living age which i think for me is a different relationship with that which is alive um, which is human beings and everything else that is alive in the world around us. And um, if I kind of tell you where the book came from for for me, was that I I, I spent quite a lot of time in recent years in nature. um, And I found myself having written various books around the digital workplace, the digital renaissance of work, technology as a if you like a liberating force in the world of work I was walking through a uh, it's called Wiggly Cops it's a small forest and I found myself stopping when I was in there and you can just feel this activity of nature around and I, I was wondering about what's the new book after the digital renaissance of work is it is the new book more digital is it AI intelligent systems etc etc and and I started kind of asking myself is there some kind of language in this forest that is similar to an organization which is really just a community of people with um, shared purpose and and I started asking myself well Who's in charge of the forest? What's the nature of the trees, the roots, uh, the moisture? And I started having this sense that actually organizations are much like this, that they have uh, root systems that are invisible to the naked eye, but actually influence the health of the organization. And in the same way, a forest has roots that are invisible, but actually influence the system. And so... I find myself kind of almost going on this sort of dream sequence. And of course, after that, having had probably six months of it, you, you kind of wonder, well, am I going mad? And I started talking with Shimrit about what this this I the ideas around organizations as being alive in the same way that a forest is alive. And actually what we found was as we were both talking about it, was that the idea the idea didn't narrow it actually expanded so for example which tree is in charge of the forest which tree do you have to add in to become a forest what happens if part of this forest if you like dominates and sucks in resource that the rest of the forest can't have maybe it thrives for a while and then the overall condition the health of the forest deteriorates so this is my um, kind of way into the book. And I'm not sure, Shimri, whether, whether you want to just kind of pick up on how you, you came into um, the same topic.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the story that you tell about spending more and more time in nature and drawing influence and inspiration from that is when you brought that to me, I remember so vividly sitting on the sofa in our living room and I live on the 12th floor in North London. So from where I am, even though I live in London and I'm surrounded by concrete and buildings and the kind of the the elements of a city, as Paul and I were talking more and more about the world of work and the trends that we were seeing and the patterns and can we find inspiration in the world of forests and nature, I can remember looking out from our windows and London looked like a city that had sprung up from a forest because London is incredibly green from a bird's eye point of view. It doesn't feel it on the ground, um, but in the sky it is. And that sense of vitality and greenness and the idea of the biodiversity of the forest and all of those elements that are kind of thriving and thrumming in a healthy forest just felt like such a rich, vein of story and metaphor to then rethink how we approach the world of work, whether it's diversity, well-being, the structures that we use to organize ourselves, um, the relationships that we have and all those elements. And when we stepped back and said, "Okay, how do we feel and think about work at the moment and what's the language that we use and the stories that we tell, so much of what we've inherited about work is industrial. And was born of that age and has a very clear focus on things like productivity efficiency whereas a lot of the things we're now beginning to realize are important such as well-being the diversity all those things it's very hard to talk about those if you're just using that industrial language whereas that language of nature and ecosystems and living systems just broadens everything out in such a an expansive way as paul said that it felt Use the pun incredibly natural as a way hmm. of talking about work.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. That's that's really great sort of context and introduction. And you touched there on the point that we're kind of moving into a different age, and and that's something that I hear a lot when I speak to different people, and some of the things that that I read as well. You know, we're moving out of this post knowledge age to some extent, and into the next thing. And it definitely feels like we're 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 calling out for a new sort of definition and a new. Um, way of imagining and interpreting our role in this this new existence that we are creating. I guess, Shemite, I wonder if I could come to you for a little bit of an elaboration or or a build on something. So if we're at this sort of inflection point or transition point, and and we've been living with a fairly industrial mechanistic, um, I guess, you know, step-based view of what Um, world of of work is what is it about that space that you think isn't serving us at the minute that that means that we should be moving towards adopting a new point of view is there there something in there that that we feel is causing us challenges
3: that's a really good question and I'd almost challenge it back and say who is it serving in the first place and was it serving everybody or were there people that it wasn't weren't being served by it Um, and is it that it's no longer helpful or are there elements of it that were never helpful to start with Um, I think when what Paul and I found as we were doing our research and having our conversations is that obviously there have been different ages of work, particularly in the West, when we think about the agrarian age and then the industrial age, and each had benefits and each had impacts that were possibly more negative. So in that kind of Taylorism industrial approach that emerged, it had huge benefits in terms of growth, progress, uh, generating wealth, advances in technology. Um, All of those things, there's a positive to that. There was also a negative, which are things like the impact on the environment, on the planet, the way in which different genders and races and classes were potentially left behind or not included in some of that progress as well. So if we're now, you know, we're in 2021 thinking we have more knowledge at our fingertips as well in terms of the impact that some of those things have had, we have more knowledge. And so if those things aren't working for everyone or have stopped working for people or are impacting the earth, which we know that they are, that's what's no longer working. I think we can see in terms of social justice, the environmental cli- uh, crisis that we have at the moment, um, the impact on well-being and all those things, that's what's not working for us. And so if we are at that inflection point, as you said and that crossroads of, okay, what has been, has been, what the stories and the ways of working that we've inherited from our ancestors, for want of a better word, and through culture, we have the opportunity and the ability and the agency to say we can take and learn from what's been before and we can make choices about what comes next. And as Paul was saying, that at the moment, a lot of the conversation has historically been about the digital age And the impact of AI and the impact of robots um, and the impact of kind of emergent technologies. But the question we raise is, is that what we really want our next defining story to be, to be all about technology? Or is that actually still adopting some of that mechanistic thinking, which hasn't worked for so many people and for the environment as well? Whereas if we flip that and say we're moving into a living age, does that help refocus what we want work to be and really knowing what it is to be more inclusive of not just the worker on the factory floor or the person on the retail floor or the person at their desk, but also their families, their relationships, the environment around us, the communities again. So that's why I think that that older story, which did serve its purpose in many, many ways and was also harmful in other ways, if we can cast that off, I think it will help us hugely as we try to solve some of the wicked problems that we face together.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, and just to pick up on that, Shinri, um, I mean that that story not only did it serve us, but it also made sense. There was a, there was a story of 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 kind of you call it advanced civil advancing civilization from the industrial age, which was which was. In a way, a very exploratory, um, uh, expanding story that really kind of made sense for our culture. But I think what we've what we've all experienced in recent decades, and I think the the pandemic has really brought that home to us, is that that story no longer makes any sense and no longer will sustain us. I mean. Bill Gates has got a new book out today, I forget the actual title, but it's all around uh, climate as the central issue of our time. And we knew this prior to the pandemic and maybe the pandemic has shown us that we can collectively um, achieve change when we want to. Um, And actually, so, so I think it's really about The living age, I think, is is trying to write a new story that doesn't just affect the way we work, but the way we the way we live. And I think for me, it's all about relationship. And that's about the relationship between each other in in work and beyond. But also the relationship to that which is alive in the world around us. And I think one of the things that we did, um, uh, James, was was. We we tested out our kind of proposition on different mm. clients and organizations that we work with. So we, we wondered whether actually we'd got a kind of neat idea that everybody would go, But you guys are kind of off your heads. Mm. But actually, we started talking to people like Estee Lauder, Coca-Cola, IKEA, the International Monetary Fund and talking to them as, about this idea that they were alive as, as organizations. They weren't organizations, they were organisms. And actually what we noticed was that people really resonated, in fact got quite emotional about and, and referenced things in the past. So it, it was quite a, a sort of affirming uh, confidence that it gave us.
0: That's, that's really helpful. And there's so much interesting content in there. Um, it's Just a, a reflection for me, something that has been uh an area of interest for me for a while has been this concept of externalities and those impacts that we have outside of our core purpose as an organization and i listened to something recently a conversation i think it was with kate and the topic of externalities was raised and and the rejoinder was there is no such thing as an externality if you think there are externalities you are simply drawing the circle of your existence too small right so we are all within this system that is bigger than we think it is so it's not as if we as organizations in this argument have an impact and it affects outside of us on someone else and it's not our problem in reality we're all part of that larger system so all those problems are our problems and then for me when i when i heard that challenge back against externalities that 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 kind of sat within a a transition for me of how i think about things and i think that uh, anyway i just wanted to share that um Mm So the, I just want yeah.
3: to say on that as well, one of, as we were doing our research, we obviously came across things like systems thinking um, mm. and the idea, which is inspired by biology, the idea that you have not just one, as you were saying, the idea of externalities, but everything is connected. You've got living systems nested within living systems. And so you as an individual maybe nested within a team that's connected to the region you're in. Maybe that's connected to the organization as a whole, which is connected to the community and society. And you can just keep expanding out and out. And it's exactly that there is no kind of us and them. It's we're all part yeah. of the same thing. And it's just a matter of how zoomed in or out you are.
0: Yeah. Where you draw that circle.
3: Yeah.
2: Hmm. I mean, what's interesting is I, I remember that um, years before this, the book was even an idea um, the term that I kept hearing from different organizations from people in HR technology was all, it was all about integration we need to get over the silos we need to connect we need to collaborate we need to integrate and I think that's all about this sort of desire to remove separation and and and, and connect and your point about externalities um, uh, I think, kind of references that. And if you then look at somebody like um, BlackRock, who are the largest investment fund in the world, and they then start saying, actually, we're only going to invest in companies that take in account all of the stakeholders that affect the organization. What they're saying is all the things that you see as externalities are actually internal m- things that matter for your health as an organization. Um, So I I think that's what we're grappling with. Um, I mean, the thing that's staying with me, there was an interview with Bill Gates on the radio this morning. He said that the climate crisis, and I think our book is in a way bringing the world of organizations and work more deeply into the climate crisis. If we're able to achieve what we need to achieve, it will be the greatest kind of achievement in human history. Uh, and I think that's right because we're so embedded to a system of separation and disconnection, and the economics and the power that go through that.
1: Um, I wanted to ask your question about the positioning of, of the book and what it's trying to achieve, because uh, even just in this short time, you guys have used words like metaphor, story, language, and I know in the when you when you read a little bit about the book, you talk about the power of. Um, providing change makers with the language and questions I think I think is the phrase that you use to be able to talk about it and I just what what is it you think that metaphor story and and particularly drawing metaphors that feel so real feel so familiar to us like biological and, and natural ones what do you think that can achieve that numbers and data or the more traditional ways of communicating business information can't?
3: It's a great question. I think, uh, so I think data and information still have a role to play because people absorb and are influenced or inspired by different, different types of thinking. Um, but for us, the reason we focus so heavily on the idea of story and metaphors is that it's how we process the world around us day to day. If you come home from work, which at the moment may just be moving from the living room to the bedroom, <laughs> but when you, when you come home from work, You're not sharing your day in a spreadsheet with the people around the dining table. You share it through story and through sharing, you know, telling the story of your day to your friends and family or or whoever it may be. And so and we know that throughout our history as a species, the way in which knowledge has traditionally been imparted has been through story. Um, it's how you learn about the history of your people, it's how you learn about the history of those who've come before, it's how you make sense of everything that's around you, it's why we have things like myths and legends and fables and all the rest of it. It's why the power of culture is so huge because I think we we drink in stories. Um, they help reflect us, they help us understand, they help us change as well and see the art of the possible it's why things like science fiction um can have such a power in showing us the art of the possible and there's an element of that experience that is you can't communicate through numbers it's that kind of intangible side of things so that's why for us we talk so much about the power of language and metaphor and story because i think If we've grown up hearing that work is a slog and it's nine to five and you have to be in one place and it's all about power struggles or or whatever it is that we've kind of ingested through culture and by seeing how our parents were working and all the rest of it, it's very hard to break out of that thinking without seeing the art of the possible and what else could be. So for us, that's nature of work. It's that story of the art of the possible
2: and the other point is that you know we deliberately wanted this to be a coffee table book about work not a a, look, a book that looks like a business book so it's it's full of hopefully quite beautiful <laughs> pictures and 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 it, and, it, and one of the reasons was to almost kind of confound the idea that business books are just words after word after word. It's 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 full of of the richness of the natural world around us because we want people to be moved. Oh. Because I think I think to change the way we think about work we have to be we have to feel change.
1: Yeah it's interesting it's interesting you use the phrase moved, sorry. It's just um hmm. it strikes me a little bit almost as if the book is a provocation um or intended to create provoke, if you like, conversations yeah. about thinking about the world differently and I wondered I wondered A if that if that were the case and, and also if you could share with the audience a little bit about the sort of main core topics you cover because I think that really helps to bring to life how you've used sort of nature as a metaphor. Shimri, yeah. do you wanna oh sorry, Paul, oh do you want to go in first and then we'll you you can pick it up. Yep,
2: that sounds good. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a kind of subtle provocation because what we're saying is there's a new story of work and there's something called a living age, and in a way we're almost saying prove to me that that's wrong prove to me that you're still a, a machine mentality will 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 work as we move forward and one of the things i sometimes say to people is um you know if we are doing a talk about the book you you know what's how would you describe your culture and people in one company will say one thing and people describe another thing and then i'll say okay can you now describe the culture of your car And of course, your car is a machine. It's got no intrinsic culture, but your organization has culture. What has your organization, has your company invented any products or services? People talk about this. And then again, take a machine, take a car. What has that created, produced? And what we're trying to say to people is it's not that you need to become alive. You're already alive and that actually you just don't we don't naturally see ourselves thinking like that. Um, I'll let you answer the next bit, Shemite, <laughs> because that sounded like a much harder question than the first bit.
3: <laughs> um, and yes, I agree. It, it, is, it is a gentle provocation. That's why we've used questions to, to use it as a way of being able to reflect on yourself and how you think as you work through the book. Um, in terms of the kind of topics that we cover, uh what we've ended what we ended up doing was selecting 12 elements and kind of keywords inspired by nature that can be flipped both to understand nature but understand the world of work as well um I can list them if that's helpful they're ordered purposefully in this way as well to to flow and tell the story so I think
1: I think given uh given that there is a purposeful reason with which you've Sort of done them in order. It'd be lovely to hit just yeah. share with the audience what yeah, those
3: are. no problem. I won't go into detail for each one because there's twelve of them, and we'll be <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but we we start with purpose, the idea of purpose. We then flow into roots, inspired as Paul was saying about the idea of root systems. From there, we look at habitats, and that's both physical and digital habitats, and understanding how that impacts us and how we impact our habitats. From there, we flow into biodiversity, then relationships and structures the next two, and it's very much about you know the, the relationships between people and things and places, and then how we structure ourselves as well. We look at life cycles, and that's uh, a number of things, such as the organizational life cycle, but also our life cycles as human beings, and to what extent are they supported or not supported in the world of work. From there, we look at migration, and that's kind of physical migration as well, in terms of how we flow between places, but also how we move in and between organizations throughout our career and to what extent is that impacted by organizations. Then we look at threats because we know that the world of work isn't, uh, the world of nature, sorry, isn't uh, an oasis. There's a lot in there that is challenging as well. So we thought important to look at threats. From there, we flow into regeneration and then intelligence. And then the final one is health because, and that's, deliberately last because we see that as a culmination of the previous 11 threats as well so that's the 12
1: that's brilliant thank you for that and uh, so many of these uh, um feel very familiar to us in worlds outside of our work as well because they're kind of like living a lot of them are either living phases or relate to our, our sort of fa- the phase of our lives that we go through um, and i just wondered how thinking about our work and our workplace um, in these kind of terms, can particularly help us as leaders, um, and what 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 response you get from leaders when when they read the book and and understand how you're trying to approach uh, understanding the nature of work.
2: Yeah, I, I think the way that it can help leaders, um, and I think, I mean, obviously, we started writing it pre-COVID, so we 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 started on the book in the middle of 2019. Um, And then when COVID arrived, we thought maybe the book's redundant. And then we started looking through it. And actually what we started to realize was that, you know, we'd been saying that organizations are alive. And now, of course, we found all all too brutally the the kind of actuality of that. And I think if you look at the topics that we've heard leaders talking about, particularly in the last 12 months around empathy, listening, um, well-being, it's quite interesting isn't it that you know the the head of one of the largest management consultancies had to resign in the last few days for showing a lack of empathy his yeah. job was unsustainable Um, so that's in a way the world we're in and so I think it's it's what we've heard is that it gives I was thinking about somebody at, at um, AstraZeneca and they've obviously been doing remarkable things in the last year particularly in terms of collaborating with organizations they wouldn't normally work with either in competitive spaces different regions and so on but they, there's people are telling us it's giving them a new language and a new way of thinking so if you start to look at your organization in in, in through the lens of regeneration for example then if you're Unilever You can start to say, well, maybe we should become a B corporation, a better corporation, which means you've got certain ecological social standards. Why would they do that? Well, then they start to look at their own life cycle where they started as an organization, as Lever Brothers, creating um, in quite a, a, a paternalistic way at the beginning of the last century, communities where their workers could live like Port Sunlight uh, in the north of England. But they start to think of themselves as a B Corporation. Actually, could we become the largest, most ecological organisation in the world? And that is, so I think it's what we found is it's starting to give a more expansive and probably legitimacy to organisation. When you think about it, saying that the age we're in is digital is pretty kind of narrow. Because all that's going to say is we're going to create ever better tools, which we will. We'll get more AI, we'll get more intelligent systems, we'll get generalised intelligence and all of those things. But that's actually not going to give us a proper um, kind of vision for where we're going. One of the organisations that we talk about in the book is Mindful Chef, who are one of the home delivery recipe companies. They started a few years ago in the UK. Um, And they started with the whole proposition around donating two meals to uh, developing countries for every meal that they sold um, from being net zero from, uh, I think, from when they began. And they've achieved all of those things and they've become very commercially successful and now been bought by Nestle. Now, you know, I'm not saying Nestle are perfect. None of the large organizations or even the small organizations are. Everybody's on their own journey. But what you start to see is this alignment of financial health with, along with the other elements of health. And I, so I think there's, I think the book, particularly for CEOs, is really a, a kind of template and a, a map for, for the future of the organization.
0: So again, some, some great things in there. And, and I've got a bit of a follow-up question. I guess I'll frame it um, a little bit like, like this, I guess. One of the things that, that seems to be a theme within this conversation and many things that, that we discuss with other guests is the transition away from the you know shareholder value maximization towards broader stakeholder value maximization with responsible business and B corporations and, and those types of things. Now, th- that transition is espoused by your Larry Fink's and by you know various large organisations that are or, um, or large bodies that are, that are speaking about those transitions. Sometimes it feels a little bit like there is more talk, more greenwashing, more culture washing, more ESG washing than action. And if we're going to really get some change, we need to see change materialise from sources of power within organisations. And I guess my, my question is, when when you, in your experience as somebody leading an organisation, is are out in the world speaking to leaders of organizations, how do you feel that they are responding to these stories that we're telling? I mean, or, or do you feel that there's a real belief and a real drive for these uh, mindset shifts, if you will, within organizations in terms of what their purpose is? Or do you see reticence? What's your lived experience of that?
2: Well, I I, I would reference, I did a talk at the IMF in, in Washington in, I think, September 2019. And what and and the talk was called working between stories saying one story of work is ending and another story hasn't yet come into being and and what i dis, what i found both in the audience and talking to people there and this is just an example of what i found is that there was a level of of awareness there that they were created along with other institutions like the un after the second world war and their model was all around financial um Stability. And they said, in order to maintain financial stability now, you have to maintain ecological stability. And we need to create new purpose and new relevance for ourselves as we move forward. And I suppose what I've seen, and I think COVID has only accelerated this, there's a level of humbling that's happened in many organizations. And, And so the less clear you are about where you're going, the more receptive you are to to change. So I I think everybody's in transition. I mean, I found myself change as a CEO of a a much smaller organization, there's a hundred people in DWG, but it's it's given me a new sense of where the organization would go. So instead of just wanting to sell the company and pocket uh, money, what we're actually looking at is becoming an employee-owned organisation. Um, and, and it's not to set aside the, the commercial importance, but to have a much broader sense of what future uh, strength looks like. Um, so I think, yeah, you, you're inevitably going to get um, greenwashing and lip service. But let's face it, particularly if you look at younger people, their kind of radar, radar for anything that hasn't got true, authentic um, uh, intention to it, is very, very strong, and and I think if you do want to be part of this living age, you you can't just play lip service to it because it's too easy to to be exposed for that.
0: That's helpful. Um, I, I think that that real purpose, right? I think people, as as you've said cry out for that real purpose, particularly younger people, and if we can capture that within these stories of our organizations and the, the direction and the vision that we're setting, that's, that's helpful. Um, Shemreen, I've got a question for you, um, then, then a follow-up question that'll be practical, but a question now which is a bit maybe less practical. <laughs> At the minute, we're, we're talking about um, sort of shifting change within society through um, some of the actions and, and impacts that organizations have and the way that we work and the way we connect to nature. At the minute, it feels to me like globally we're still very much driven by, for example, GDP as a measure of national success. Do you think we need to look at reframing our national, or societal, or, or social metrics as well? How's that for a leading question?
3: I mean, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I shouldn't ask closed questions.
3: <laughs> no, absolutely, and we—it's interesting because we. One of the first elements we started writing was health, even though it's the last one in the book. Um because one of the things we were asking ourselves was, What are the health indicators of an organization, and as we were saying, is it purely financial, but are there other ways are there other ways that we need to understand how healthy an organization is and Of course, the answer is yes again um, and as we were doing our research, we were looking at elements such as how the nations understand their um, their health as a nation, for example, or as a state. And one of the examples that came up was New Zealand, who in the last couple of years have said that they're not just going to measure themselves by GDP, but also the well-being of, of the nation. And they have a whole load of different ways that they've defined the indicators of well-being for their organis- for their nation, sorry. And they have a dashboard that helps them track kind of in real time how they're performing against them. So that was a real eye-opening moment for us as well in terms of, okay, what would the health indicators of an organization be in for society and the more and more you delve into it there's so much good work already taking place there are for example community well-being um ways of understanding how healthy a community is with parameters there such as how what are the relationships like in terms between generations what how what access do people have to services what's the digital literacy Um, what access is there to work opportunities all of those things make up the health of a community the health of a nation that just seeing the kind of GDP stats they don't give you that fuller picture of okay that's what think how things are in terms of the finances and economics but what are people's experiences day to day and I think that's why it's important to look beyond just that as Paul was saying the financial side and the economic side is still important. You need the way that we have our system. You need money flowing between people, um, and it obviously needs to be as well distributed as possible. And then you need to understand those experiences as well.
0: I, I, I was, um, I was on. Uh, I went to a talk last week um, on looking at basically you know political framing after individualism, and, and it was interesting, and it, it was. Yeah, you know, it was it's very interesting. But one of the things that was mentioned there that I hadn't realized was that um, a bunch of the large foundations like the Gates Foundation and others had done an assessment on basically pandemic preparedness. Mm. Um, uh, maybe two years ago, that kind of time, certainly before we started the um, before the coronavirus outbreak, and they put the US and the UK as the two most prepared nations for facing into this. and And their reasons were Those mechanistic and industrialist type things, you know, like your processes and systems and wealth and all those types of things. And obviously the the way things have turned out, those have only been part of the indicators of success that we have. And and looking at things from now, from where we are now looking back, we can see that things like, uh, you know, a collaborative mentality and social interaction and connection and all those more systemic human things have in some instances had a larger impact on our ability to, to respond well to, a truly systemic shock um anyway that, that was just a side piece i'm gonna hand over i think jane you had a, a question that you were gonna come in with
1: yeah i was just I, i'm just re- reflecting on how important some of these questions uh, these conversations might be in an organization particularly to an organization that's never really thought about this in this way before and i wondered if you had any advice or suggestions of how leaders might offer up questions to their teams or any suggestions on how they could start a meaningful conversation such that these kind of ideas might be brought into the language of the organisation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one way is, for instance, you know, if you look at the, the, the section on habitat, um, it's ideally suited to people responsible for facilities, workplace, um, HR, and, you know, there's just, so one thought, for that part of the organization is um, have the book. There are questions at the end of each section and use those to think about how we're operating as an organization as we emerge out of what I call the teeth of the pandemic and think about what that means. You know, for instance, if you're responsible for the habitat of the organization, and your facilities and you're only responsible for the physical real estate should you be responsible for all the places that people are going to work that you don't as a company own because a third of the workforce is not going to return to the office on any given day that doesn't mean people are going to always a third of them will always be at home or or close to home it means that that's the reduction we're looking at therefore it take a broader view of the habitat you know, if you're Coca-Cola, what is your habitat? Is it just the spaces that you lease or own? Or is it all the places where people are working? So I think each section, I mean, for instance, if you're looking at people involved with um, uh, innovation, look at the section on regeneration. Look at the stories in there from BMW, who've got not only teams working on the, the day-to-day now, but they've also got teams looking at 100... Plus years out for the organisation, trying to tell stories of what the organisation could become. So I think um, what we've tried to do with the book is not just have lots of beautiful pictures in there, but also with the examples and the questions that come after each section. Um, to to give people, if you like, a sort of workshop map. And we're actually doing that for ourselves as a company. So our group MD is taking the digital workplace group through one element per month. Um, So we've just been going through purpose because we don't know how nature of work we are as an organisation. I might have some opinions about it. Shamrit might as well. But the question is, where are we really? And, And how do we improve?
3: And what's really interesting about that as well is so I've been part of one of those working groups that's going to be looking at each of the elements of DWG, and it's kind of a, a younger generation working group um, where we're meeting with the MD that Paul mentioned. And so we had our first session looking at purpose uh, uh, last month, and what became really clear was that we all—all all of us that were on the call, the, the younger generation—in in quotation marks are so supportive and passionate about the core purpose of DWG in terms of what it does with its members and clients. And that was understood and and supported, and we were passionate about it. But using the language of nature of work and thinking about purpose in that way, in terms of deeper purpose, the interconnected purpose that you see within nature, where a piece of fruit is there to not only help the seeds of its plants, move across space but also help give nourishment to the animals for example that feed on it that's multiple interconnected purpose using that language helped us talk about what's the purpose to its freelance community to its employees to the environment it expands that conversation out so much than just the mission statement um and so as paul was saying we're looking at ourselves through that lens and using the questions and the ideas and the stories to rethink um, and re-see who DWG is. So that's such a, a easy way to get started on that path for other organizations.
0: That's really, um, really helpful. And I'd love to to stay in touch and see how that that sort of process of opera, operationalizing this mm-hmm. goes. Um, at, unfortunately, at the minute, I think we're running out of time. So I'm going to wrap things up. I just wanted to ask before we get to the very end, how can people find out more about the book or how could people get it?
3: There's a website. uh, So it's www.natureofwork.com. So if you go there, you'll see um, a little bit more about the book, you'll be able to order a copy, you'll be able to download a free excerpt, which is the purpose um, elements, which we've been talking about. So that's the first thing. Um, there's a couple of other things. You can follow Paul and me, for example, on Twitter. Um, cool. I'm, I'm at Shimritz Janes. Paul, I think you're at Paul Miller Says. Um, we talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and there are various uh, events and things coming up that we'll be joining. And then, Paul, do you want to mention the festival?
2: Yes. Well? and we, We've also, we oddly got approached by a, a large events company in the US last year and there's going to be a, the nature work festival is going to happen in wow. Singapore, London, and New York in September in person wow. and through a global broadcast um, for a week in September. Um, so we're just sorting out the dates for that, but um, it's, it was important to to them and to, to us to create something that's both um, in person, but also using the best of broadcast technology. So, if you want to be part of the nature work festival, you can go to nowfestival.com and sign up for that. So, um, and then, um, we're also launching a second podcast called the nature work podcast.
0: Brilliant.
2: Um, just to try and kind of bring some of these stories of nature work organizations to life. Um, yes so quite yeah. a lot
0: going on that is a lot going on that's excellent and uh when we get some uh, of uh, the show notes and stuff together we'll we'll, we'll share those things because i'm sure that's exciting and the festival sounds great um so let's wrap things up there guys i guess it's just a, a really big thank you from me that was a really interesting and reflective conversation so a big thanks from me and a
3: big thank you from me and thank you as well
0: pleasure thank you <laughs> Okay, so you are back in the room with us. That was our conversation with Paul and Um Some really great stuff in there. I, I love the sort of breadth of what they're looking at doing and the inspirational language and the desire to you know, face into creating something new. I think that's all really brilliant. Um, Jane, was there anything specifically that you'd want to reflect
1: back on? I guess the bit that makes me reflect them so much is, I guess, two sides of the same coin, which is the power of language that uh, both Paul and Shimmerit were talking about. And I think one is... One side of that is, you know, as leaders and as organisations, how do we think about uh, the stories and the metaphors we use that can encourage new and different ways of thinking about our work? And the second, I think, specifically is with that use of a a metaphor of nature is thinking about uh, how we think about the other actors in our world that sometimes i think sometimes business and strategy and organizational science can be very reductive and i think using a metaphor like nature encourage us to massively expand the, the the place of our work in the world which i quite like
0: yeah it's it's a good way to open us up and and you know language is such a powerful thing if we start to explore things from a different perspective using that new pool of words it can be such a powerful thing i, I, I like that point um I guess for me, I just want to go back to a point that's a, a bit of a theme throughout some of our podcasts, which is the fact that this stuff is important, you know, being a responsible business and trying to understand the impacts and the connections that you have out with or outside of, if we're not in Scotland, out with the immediate confines of, of your work is such an important thing to do. Um, and I, I kind of feel like the rewards of doing it are, are high in terms of our own motivation and sense of purpose and, and drivers as, as people. Um, but at the same time, I also think that it actually leads to benefits for ourselves and, and for our customers and, and other people as well. So anyway, that was a bit of a high horsey statement. So I apologize for that. Um, but Make that was... no apologies
1: for things like
0: that. <laughs> All right. Okay. It's worthwhile. All right. Well, let's leave it there, guys. So that is it from us. So it's goodbye from me.
1: And it's goodbye from me.
0: Hi, everyone. This is James. Uh, thank you very much for listening to that podcast. And please do share it and review it if you enjoyed it. And don't forget, you can learn more about our coaching, workshops, courses, and development programs on our website. That's www.worldofwork.io. Again, www.worldofwork.io.